On the 23rd of February, 1991, Dan Willoughby and his wife, Trish Willoughby, arrived in Mexico with their three children for a family holiday. Later that afternoon, Dan and the children headed off to the nearby museum, whilst Trish stayed behind to have a nap, as she said she was very tired. When the family returned home two hours later, the children excitedly ran into their mother's room to tell her what they had seen at the museum, but to their utmost horror, they found their mother lying in bed, covered in blood and clinging onto life. When police arrived at the crime scene, Dan told them that over $400 in cash and two rings were missing, so detectives thought it might have been a robbery gone wrong. Ten days later, however, a woman was arrested, and in her possession they found the missing jewellery Dan had described, including Trisha's wedding ring. As the police got further into their investigation, they quickly realised that this woman was not just a random woman. It turned out she was incredibly closely connected to the family, but by the time they had made this connection and figured out that she may have been involved in Trisha's murder, the woman had been released from police custody and was now missing. Who was this woman and where was she? How did she know the family so well? And was she really involved in Trisha's murder? And if she was, had she acted alone? Patricia Trish Toland was born on the 5th of June 1948 in Washington and Dan Willoughby was born on the 28th of May 1939. The pair met and married in 1976 and three years later they moved to the valley in Arizona where Trisha's mother, Thera, also lived and Dan and Trisha had three children together. Whilst living close to one another, Trish and her mother, Thera, launched into a series of business ventures together, and in time, one of the companies, which sold herbal supplements, became incredibly successful, gaining millions in sales and quickly becoming worth over $2.5 million. Dan worked as a sales manager for an international air freight company, and in 1985, he became the head of the Phoenix division of Air Express International. Here he became known as Disco Danny because of his love of partying. One of his colleagues said, He is kind of a wild man. When I heard he was a deacon at his church, I almost died laughing. He loved to drink. The colleague was referring in particular to the Mormon church's health code, which prohibits alcohol. In July of 1990, however, Dan lost his job and his colleagues said that he was fired because he was paying too little attention to his job and running his expense accounts too high. Over the next year or so, Dan became more of a household husband, taking care of the three Willoughby children and merely dabbling in the herbal supplements business to which Trish was devoting all of her time. Trish, who had long overseen the family's finances, was now also the sole breadwinner. Trish was eager to formulate a financial plan that would outlast her and help support her and others forever. She preferred to invest the money she made back into the business rather than spend it all on a lavish lifestyle. Because of this, she and her mother, Thera, decided to take out $750,000 life insurance policies upon each other so that if anything were to happen in the future, their families would be protected and looked after. Dan Willoughby was not known to be a loyal man, and in 1990 he met Yesenia Patino Gonzalez. Yesenia was a lot younger than Dan, and she was born in 1956 in Mexico. She was the child of Mexican farm labourers, and she was the second of eight children, having five brothers and two sisters. 
1962, when she was six years old, her family immigrated to the United States. When she grew up, she started hustling men in bars and on the streets, and she occasionally supplemented her income by shoplifting. She lived all over the world, but by the late 1980s, Yesenia moved to Mesa, Arizona, to be near her family. One day in 1990, she and a friend were waiting at a bus stop when a man in a Jaguar drove close by. As Yesenia was waiting, she unwrapped a Reese's peanut butter cup and dropped the wrapper to the ground. I saw her wrapping the Reese's peanut butter cup and walking the street. I started throwing the paper like this. All of a sudden, I saw this car driving by, a J1. As this happened, Dan Willoughby pulled up next to them and jokingly reprimanded her for littering. He then offered Yesenia and her friend a ride and drove them to the mall. When Dan dropped them off, he gave Yesenia his number and offered to buy her a drink sometime. He hands me out his business card and he says to me, call me if I can take you out for a holiday drink. Dan and Yesenia met for drinks a few days later and Dan wanted to discuss some business with her. By this point, Dan was still working at Air Express International and his company had a lot of contacts in Mexico. As he was trying to acquire other business contacts south of the border, he thought it would be a good idea to learn Spanish and so he asked her to be his Spanish teacher. Yesenia agreed and just a few weeks later, Dan invited her to his home where she met his family and Dan introduced her as his Spanish teacher. But behind closed doors, Dan and Yesenia's relationship was much more than just student and teacher. Very quickly, Dan and Yesenia began seeing each other frequently and an affair began. Yesenia started accompanying Dan on a few business trips to Mexico and he started spoiling her. Dan was able to give Yesenia a lifestyle that she had never experienced before and soon enough, she moved to a nicer apartment right down the road from the Willoughby's house and Dan paid for it. Yesenia said, Dan had me living up within half a mile from where they lived, where their actual house was. He would take the kids over there in the afternoons to swim in the pool so the four of them would be out by the pool and Dan would have his Spanish homework papers and he would be basically studying Spanish. In July of 1990, however, his need for Spanish came to an end when he was fired from the air freight company. But this did not stop the affair and Dan and Yesenia kept seeing each other. Dan continued to pay Yesenia's bills and for her lavish lifestyle. But by this point, as Dan was unemployed, Trish was the one covering all these costs. And naturally, Trish became very suspicious. She's paying for everything. And Dan is doing nothing. Except just running around and having a ball and charging. Trish's mother, Thera, said she couldn't even find him on the cell phone. She could never find him. She could never find him anywhere. And I kept telling her, Trish, something is going on. There's something wrong here. Why? Why can't you get in touch with Dan? In the fall of 1990, Trish decided to confront her husband, and when she couldn't reach him, she went over to his Spanish teacher's apartment. When Trish got to Yesenia's apartment, she went straight to the bedroom and switched on the lights, where she caught her husband alone but putting his shirt back on. One uh, early evening, Dan was there with me, and I w we were at my uh, bedroom, and I had I had the uh, sliding door open and I heard Trisha's voice calling Dan. I said, Dan, your wife is here. She walks in and goes straight to the bedroom, try to turn the light on switch on and saw Dan uh, put his shirt on. 
she didn't see me because I got, I got, I hide it. It turned out Yesenia had heard her coming and was hiding in the room, so Trish didn't see her. Later that same day, Dan called Yesenia to let her know that Trish was onto them and that she was coming to speak to her. Dan told Yesenia to deny everything and to just tell Trish that she was still his Spanish teacher. When Trish finally found Yesenia, she told her, My understanding, Yesenia, is that you're going out with my husband. And as Dan had told her, Yesenia denied it and even volunteered to stop tutoring Dan if it was causing problems in his marriage. But this was obviously not true, and Yesenia and Dan continued to see each other. In 1990, Dan Willoughby gifted his wife Trish a family trip to Rocky Point in Mexico for Christmas. He rented a condo at Las Conchas Beach for a weekend in February in 1991 for the couple and their three children. The family arrived in the afternoon of the 23rd of February, and Dan said he would take the children to the nearby museum to entertain them. Trish decided to stay behind and to take a nap, as she said she was very tired. Dan loaded the kids into the car, but then returned inside the house to go and fetch his passport. Whilst the children waited in the car for their father, the eldest daughter decided she wanted to get a snack from inside the house, as her father was taking a while getting his passport. As she tried to enter the house, she noticed that the front door was locked, and as she tried to open it, her father suddenly answered the door and told her to go and wait in the car, so she headed back. Five minutes or so later, their father returned, and they drove off to the museum. Two hours later, Dan and the children returned from the trip, and Dan told them, Go on and tell your mum what you saw at the museum. Trish was still in the bedroom taking her nap, so the kids ran over to the room, but as they entered the bedroom, they found their mother in bed, with a pillow over her head, covered in blood, and with a butter knife protruding from her head. She was still alive, but she was barely clinging on to life. Dan immediately gathered the children and rushed out of the house, and drove to the Red Cross station to get help. An ambulance was dispatched from the station to the condo, and Trish was loaded into it, but Dan didn't accompany her on the rides to the hospital. Instead, he stayed at the condo for as long as 20 minutes before finally setting out for the hospital. He then turned the car around because he saw the police arriving. He spoke with the police for another 20 minutes, and then finally headed for his wife's bedside. Tragically, however, Trish succumbed to her injuries later that day, and she was pronounced dead at the Santa Fe Clinic at 6.45pm. That night, Dan moved his family from the site of Trish's murder to a motel. Antonio Silva, the manager of the motel, was amazed by Dan's mood, considering what unspeakable tragedy had just occurred. He said, He acted just like a normal person, who had had nothing happen to him. He was laughing, just like a tourist, nothing more. We know that Americans are hard-hearted, not like a Latin. His sentiments are different from a Latin's, but how could it have been that he did not appear to feel anything at all? When the Mexican police arrived, they took a few Polaroid pictures of the crime scene, but they didn't have proper equipment to do forensic evidence and fingerprinting at the time. No autopsy was performed on Trish either and her body was quickly transported back to Arizona for her burial. Following Trisha's death, Dan Willoughby told the Mexican police that she had apparently been murdered during a robbery. He described to the authorities that jewellery was stolen, including his wife's wedding ring, and he drew a picture of the ring for the police. The crime scene itself also looked like a robbery, as items were thrown around the apartment. 
Dan was still brought in for questioning by the Mexican authorities, but he told them that he and his wife were happily married and he was later released. But immediately after the murder, detectives back in Arizona began getting some interesting tips. Firstly, Trisha's mother started telling several people, including an investigator from the Arizona Attorney General's office, that Dan might have committed the murder. Several tipsters also claimed that the Dan they knew had been cheating on his wife for years. Apparently, when Dan was still employed, he would often use the office restroom and come out smelling like strong cologne. He would say he was going to Digital, one of the companies they did business with, but everyone knew that when Dan said he was going to Digital, it meant he would be with a woman for the rest of the afternoon. Detective Joseph Threwitt recalled, we received numerous calls from people telling us, I can't believe he finally killed his wife. And I said, who? And they said, Dan Willoughby. I can't believe Dan Willoughby finally killed his wife. Plenty of these callers also provided police with the name of Dan's current girlfriend, Yesenia Patino. This immediately prompted an investigation, which revealed that although he said he was happily married, this was in fact a lie, and Dan had been unhappy with his wife for years, and he was regularly cheating on her. It also became known that upon Trisha's death, Dan would stand to inherit Trisha's position in her business and gain millions by her death. A little further digging from the police reveals that Dan paid the rent for Yesenia's apartment, her monthly dues at a local health club, and he also put money in the joint checking accounts that the couple shared. He also bought a set of his and hers diamond rings, and he and Yesenia were engaged to be married. They had been engaged in the fall of 1990, when both Dan and Yesenia had assured Trish that their relationship was nothing more than student and teacher. Arizona detectives brought Dan in for questioning, but still he behaved like a grieving husband, but his composure completely changed when detectives inquired about the money he stood to inherit from Trisha's death. According to detectives, when the issue of finances came up, he was notably perspiring. Dan acknowledged that he would gain several million dollars from Trisha's death through the business assets and the life insurance policy but he also yet again insisted that he was happily married and he denied that he was having an affair with anyone. Within 10 days of the murder, Yesenia Patino was brought in for questioning and in her possession, they found the jewelry Dan had described, including what they thought was Trisha's wedding ring. Yesenia said she had bought that ring from a man that she didn't know on the beach on the day of Trisha's murder. She also denied in being involved in the murder itself but she did admit to being in Mexico that day, partying with friends. Investigators were incredibly suspicious of Yesenia at this point, and they were sure the jewelry they found on her was Trisha's, so they called Trisha's mother, Thera, so that she could positively ID the rings. And Thera did just that. She saw the jewelry and confirmed that they were in fact her daughter's jewelry. Investigators now needed physical proof to tie Yesenia to the scene of the crime, but they didn't have anything just yet. As Yesenia had a shoplifting warrant from an adjourning jurisdiction, the Mesa police ended up arresting her on that warrant in order to give them more time. When they asked her for her ID, Yesenia gave them a social security card, but this card said it belonged to a man called Alfredo Patino. Police were confused who Alfredo Patino was and why she had his ID. Thinking maybe this was her brother, they asked her who Alfredo was and Yesenia replied that it was her. When they ran a background check on Alfredo Patino, they discovered that he had a criminal record and had previously been arrested in Oregon for male prostitution. 
police learned that Yesenia had had a gender reassignment operation in the 1980s, apparently unbeknownst to Dan. On March the 4th, 1991, Arizona investigators flew to Mexico to conduct their own investigation of the crime scene and hopefully find some evidence to link Yesenia or Dan to the crime. When they arrived, they discovered fingerprints on a coke bottle in the kitchen and they immediately sent these off for testing. A day later, the fingerprints came back as a match to Yesenia, but it was too late. Yesenia had been released on bail and had disappeared, so an extensive search for her began. They released me without restrictions. They just it's okay, you're ready to go. Trisha's family blanketed the border with posters offering a reward for information leading to Yesenia's capture. They bought advertising space and they put up missing posters on the side of buses and they kept Yesenia's picture in the news. In December of 1991, the media exposure finally paid off when Crime Stoppers got a phone call from someone who said they saw Yesenia working in a bar in Mexico. On the 6th of December 1991, Yesenia was finally arrested in a crowded catena and she was ready to confess. She said, I was working there and had a good time there, but I was afraid. I was afraid that, that I would, I would get arrested sooner or later. In a detailed confession, Yesenia told the police that it all started three months before Trish was killed, when Trish confronted her about the affair. Yesenia said she gave Dan an ultimatum at that point, her or Trish. Yesenia claims that Dan initially agreed to divorce his wife, but a few days later, he suggested an alternative plan. On the way to the gym, Dan told Yesenia about a plan to murder his wife, adding that he wanted the satisfaction of killing Trish. Yesenia claims that Dan mentions drowning Trish while scuba diving or pushing her off a cliff at a different time. Since Dan couldn't afford a divorce and he depended on Trish's income for his and Yesenia's lifestyle, divorce wouldn't work. He told Yesenia he would be taken to the cleaners if he tried to divorce Trish. Yesenia said she eventually agreed to the murder plan, once Dan promised he would use the crime's payoff to move to Mexico with Yesenia. Dan said, according to Yesenia, Yesenia, I can't do it myself. In order for us to be together, forever, you're going to have to help me. Dan and Yesenia made two trips from Phoenix to Rocky Point before the murder to find the perfect place for the killing and to go over their plans. Dan ended up renting a condo in Rocky Point, somewhat removed from the others in the area, and he paid for the property in cash. In Phoenix, Dan showed Yesenia a weapon, described as a homemade mace consisting of a heavy ball attached by rope to a handle. He said he would use it to kill Trish. Dan arranged for Yesenia's brother to take her to Rocky Point on the day of the murder. Yesenia claimed it was her job to sneak into the vacation house and to make Trish's death look like a robbery. On the day of the killing, Dan met Yesenia and her brother on the beach at Rocky Point and spoke. Dan then returned to the condo, where he proceeded to bludgeon Trish in her sleep. Yesenia then left her brother at a park and drove to a spot with a view of the condo. After she saw Dan and the children leave for the museum, Yesenia went inside and entered through the back door. Taking knives from the kitchen, Yesenia went to the bedroom and she saw Trish lying in a pool of blood. She said Trish was still breathing, and with each breath she made a gurgling sound. Yesenia then stabbed and strangled Trish. 
Yesenia claimed, however, that she did this as an act of mercy, as she could hear Trish moaning and suffering, so she tried to finish her off by putting a butter knife into her temple. After taking Trisha's rings and money and scattering the contents of Trisha's purse, Yesenia fled, meeting her brother for the return trip to Arizona. At the border, a United States customs agent understood Yesenia to say that she and her brother were going to a store just across the border. When the agent saw that they did not go there, she had them returned to the port of entry and searched. Trisha's rings were discovered in Yesenia's pocket, but because no contraband was discovered, Yesenia and her brother were released, and they immediately returned to Phoenix. The day after Yesenia's confession, Dan Willoughby was arrested. Investigators found out that after the murder, Dan had tried very hard to take steps to cover his tracks. Dan had told Yesenia to leave Phoenix, and she returned to Mexico. He also called a meeting of his neighbours, at which he denied involvement in the killing and tried to dissuade them from talking to the police. He also asked Yesenia's brother to lie to the police about seeing Dan in Mexico. He also called his travel agent to have the trip information to Mexico removed from the agent's computer. He also asked his former secretary to tell police he was a wonderful family man and told her to threaten a co-worker to prevent him from telling police about Dan and Yesenia. He also lied to investigators, saying the guards at the condo had seen three Indians in a black pickup truck in the area. He also collected an older life insurance policy for his wife, but was unsuccessful in collecting on the policy purchased to fund the buyout agreement between Trish and her mother. In April of 1992, Dan Willoughby's murder trial began in the United States. Arizona authorities said they brought charges against him because the crime was planned in their state and he engineered the murder plot. Yesenia ended up being a key prosecution witness in the case against Dan, which granted her immunity in the United States. In return for turning state's evidence, the state agreed to not prosecute Yesenia and to try to have her sentence reduced in Mexico. At Dan Willoughby's trial, Yesenia testified that she and Dan participated in the murder of Trish. Yesenia testified that at various times, Dan discussed buying a firearm silencer in Mexico or drowning Trish while scuba diving or pushing her off a cliff at the Grand Canyon. In May of 1990, during a dinner with Yesenia and another man, Dan said, I think I will take her to Mexico and get rid of her. He later made similar statements to them at a restaurant in Cottonwood in Arizona. He also discussed having his mafia connections kill her. During the trial, prosecutors said Dan Willoughby plans to use his wife's life insurance to pay for his and Yesenia's lavish lifestyle. The authorities believed financial motives played a role in the murder. Dan stood to gain Trisha's share of the business in addition to the hefty life insurance policy money. Trish and her mother were sole partners in a business worth over $2.5 million, and in 1990 they had an income of $325,000. Dan began discussing, with Trish and her mother, the disposition of their business should one of them die. He eventually convinced them to adopt an insurance-funded buyout agreement. Several insurance policies covered Trish, including a $750,000 policy purchased just months before her murder. Evidence against Dan also came from his eldest daughter, who said that once she tried to return to the house from the car, the day of the murder, she found the door locked. 
When her father unlocked the front door, he answered it, and she witnessed him tucking his shirt into his trousers. She said that this shirt he was tucking in was different to the one he had on when he entered the house just 10 minutes earlier. This proved he had changed his shirt very close to the time Trish was murdered. Dan Willoughby's lawyer, David Ocheo, contended that Yesenia Patino was a jealous lover who orchestrated the killing, then lied in court in hopes of winning a lighter sentence, and Dan Willoughby told the judge that the worst thing he did was commit adultery. Dan said, In this case, I helped the wrong person, not in murder, not in conspiracy, but in something I'm ashamed of. Dan Willoughby spent about half an hour addressing the court before being sentenced tearfully professing his innocence and saying that his wife was taken from him, not by him. In the end, however, in May of 1992, the jury found Dan Willoughby guilty of murder and he was sentenced to death. The sentencing judge found factors that required the death sentence. Among them was that Dan Willoughby sought monetary gain from the killing and another was that the crime itself was so heinous he had bludgeoned her to death. I couldn't believe it. I mean, I, I, I believed in, in, in the justice system. I believed that the innocent man would not be convicted. Following Dan's trial, Yesenia returns to Mexico and pleaded guilty to murder. Yesenia expected to be granted leniency because of her plea and her cooperation, but in the end, a Mexican judge sentenced her to the maximum sentence, 35 years in prison. This was not the end, however, as Yesenia surprised everyone in 1995 three years after the murder case was closed, when she wrote a letter to the judge who had sentenced Dan to death, claiming that she had murdered Trish all by herself and that Dan Willoughby had nothing to do with it. Arizona authorities immediately flew to Mexico to interview Yesenia and she told them a new story. Her new story stated that she had snuck into the house after Dan had left with the kids and then bludgeoned Trish to death herself. I snake in and I saw Trish that was flying, sleeping up, stretched up at the edge of the bed, was reading some kind of a pamphlet that said metal. And I I went in and when she felt it was something that beside her, she went like that. And she was going to say something to me before she said anything. I struck her with it. Okay. People close to Trish and to the case were very confused about Yesenia's actions and wondered why she was now saying this. She's the only one that knows how that crime was committed because she did it. But from what she says in that video deposition and from what my attorneys depicted from that, yes, it's, it's, it's a truthful, honest uh, video deposition. Some believed that Yesenia was doing this in order to keep the attention on herself and to keep the story in the limelight. Others said it was because she was angry that the authorities had not given her a reduced sentence like they had originally said if she testified against Dan. Yesenia herself said she did this because she was upset that the ring Dan had bought her was not returned to her and was kept as state evidence. She also said that she wanted to clear her conscience. Why have you agreed? to give this statement today. Why are you doing this? I'm doing this because um, I want to be at peace and and let uh, let the public know what really happened. And uh, I'll be 
I'll be much, I'll be better with this now. Then in November of 1999, a judge overturns Dan's conviction, agreeing that his attorney had not done a proper job representing him. Dan Willoughby faced a new jury, and this time the prosecution did not seek the death penalty because they said they could no longer rely on Yesenia's testimony. The new trial began in 2001, and once again, Yesenia surprised everyone by taking the stand and going back to her original story and confession. She told everyone the exact same story she had at the first trial. Both her and Dan were involved in the murder. A forensic scientist testified that blood spatter at the scene was consistent with Yesenia's original testimony and not the recent confession in her letter. The scientist said that the forensics indicated that Trisha's body had endured two attacks at two separate times, which was consistent with Dan bludgeoning her and then Yesenia coming in and also attacking her. Once again, the jury found Dan Willoughby guilty of murder and conspiracy to commit murder in November of 2001. We, the jury, do find the defendant, Daniel Hayden Willoughby, guilty of count two, first degree murder. And three months later, in January 2002, Dan was sentenced to consecutive terms of life with the possibility of parole after 25 years, meaning he would be eligible for parole after 50 years. Now, there's not a huge lot of information about what happened following Trisha's murder and the trial, but I did manage to find out a few things. Not only were the numerous trials messy and most likely incredibly hard on Trisha's family, but in the end, Dan also took his mother-in-law, Thera, to court to try and collect from her the near million she stood to collect as Trisha's beneficiary. But Thera countersued. Dan's three children also joined their grandmother's wrongful death suit against their father in their mother's murder. So it's fair to say that Dan's cruel actions destroyed and ripped apart the whole family. Following the murder, Trisha's brother ended up raising the three Willoughby children. Dan Willoughby continued to maintain his innocence up until his death when he died on November the 20th, 2008 while serving his time at Arizona State Prison, and it was said he died due to natural causes. Not if I had not met that fuck of us, everybody would have been living happily ever after. Simple as that. Sometimes forensic evidence and jurors are wrong. Yesenia Patino was convicted in Mexico and is now currently serving her 35-year prison term at the state prison in Hermosillo. Trisha's mother ended up writing Yesenia a letter, telling her she forgave her for what she had done saying, because I think she is a victim just like everybody else. Yesenia responded to this by saying, it is nice to know that she has nothing against me. She says that Dan is where he belongs to be and that she feels sorry for what I'm going through. In the end, justice was served and the two people responsible for Trisha's murder were rightfully convicted. Why Dan felt he had the right over Trisha's money and thought he could so easily receive it by killing her is completely beyond me. He's such a disgusting man, and I can't even begin to think what his children must have felt having their own father brutally murder their mother. Yesenia herself isn't much better, and I'm glad that even though the US granted her immunity, she was still prosecuted and sentenced in Mexico. As always, my heart goes out to Trisha's family, and in particular to her three children. I hope over time they manage to live a somewhat normal life, and I'll just finish off by saying, Rest in peace, Trish Willoughby.